Hi, and welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoy this message from our senior pastor, Dan Cochran. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here today. And um, yeah, Father's Day is a special day because fatherhood is such an important thing in the lives of uh, young children, boys and girls both, uh, just desperately need the love and the care of a father. And my message actually has an illustration and I hope I have enough time to get to it that uh, kind of talks about that. But you know, we've been in this series on emotions and it's called Emotional by Design. And uh, our intent in the series really is to take a, a look at emotions from a more biblical perspective and, and try to ask ourselves, how do we live in a healthy way with the emotions that we experience. And we saw a few different things. We saw, first of all, that emotions uh, are something that we have because we're created in the image of God. And God has emotions, God's emotional. You see that throughout the Old Testament where it's talking about Yahweh. You see it in the New Testament with Jesus who fully represented the Father. Jesus was an emotional, he, he, had, he had emotions. And so we come by emotions because we're created in the image of God. And we've seen also that emotions are essential to relationship. If if we don't have emotions, then we we can't really connect with other human beings in a real living way and have relationship. And because of that, emotions are central to the fulfillment of God's mission in each one of our lives. And emotions are central to the fulfillment of God's mission to spread the kingdom uh, throughout the earth. Now, other things that we've looked at and that we've seen, uh, emotions are generally not good or bad. There are some that are destructive in our lives, but they're the extreme ones. But generally speaking, even those at times can be signals to us that something pretty deep is wrong in our hearts, and if we're open to listening and growing, we can benefit from them. But last week, Wilson talked about how our underlying beliefs impact our emotions. Emotions aren't just there, they're based on something. And it's our beliefs which give us our perception of what's happening in our lives that generates the emotions that we experience. And so when an event occurs in my life, whether it is something someone says to me, something someone does to me, uh, a memory that comes back to me, some, something, I, something I remember about the past, or maybe I bump into somebody that looks like my uh, old school teacher who humiliated me in front of the class, and every time I see this person, because they look like the other person, I get butterflies in my stomach. Whatever the event is, it's my perception of that event that actually generates the emotions that I experience. So um, then emotions the perception as well as my values, my life values have an impact upon the emotions I experience. And then very significantly, my emotional health. You know, what wounds do I have in my heart? We, we used to talk about them as squishy spots. And there are squishy spots in our hearts and when someone presses against one of those squishy spots, it's a, it's a place where, as Wilson was just leading us in prayer here a moment ago, where I've been offended or I've been hurt and I haven't really dealt with it. I haven't really been healed of it or uh, replaced the lies that I, that I assumed based upon that hurt. Um, here are a couple of illustrations of how perception impacts your emotions. A number of years ago, 
uh, I, I had a guy come up to me at the end of a service, and he said this to me, with, with kind of almost with, a, most with a note of surprise in his voice. He said, I liked your message this week. <laughs> now, my perception was <laughs> that he doesn't generally like my messages. And I think that was a right perception. But at that moment, I was feeling pretty secure, and so I didn't react to that. It didn't, like, offend me. I kind of chuckled at it. I kind of laughed at it because at that moment, you know, I was feeling pretty good about myself and about where God had me. Now, on another occasion, this was back when I was in seminary, uh, a couple of us that were, that were graduating and the church we attended, the pastor there asked us to, uh, to each give a sermon. And um, after I gave my sermon... A good friend of mine, someone that I really admired, I really, really wanted his approval and blessing. You know, different people were saying, hey, great message, stuff like that. And this guy just kind of almost walked past me. He stopped long enough to say, I liked the last illustration you used. And I thought, well, is that all you liked? Are you just desperately trying to find something positive to say? Or what'd you think of the rest of the message? And so it was my perception of what he said, because I don't know what he thought. I never talked to him about it. Uh, it may have been that he just got a phone call when one of his kids was sick, and he had to get home, and he didn't have time to stop and talk to me. There could have been a dozen reasons he just said that. But it was my perception that made me feel kind of uh, bummed out about it. It made me question the message. Did I really give a good message or not? And so our perception of what happens is so important to, um, you know, to, to the emotion that we experience. And just to look at emotions, I, I'm going to call this kind of like an anatomy of an emotion. There's an event that occurs. You can put that first screen up just with the word event. An event occurs. As I've already shared, it could be something that happens to you, reminds you of something from the past or someone from the past. And then you experience an emotion, an emotion comes because of that event. And then you do something with that emotion. There is an effect that actually occurs. Now, the event, the emotion, could be butterflies, anxiety, could be joy, could be anger. The, uh, the actual effect of the emotion can be good or bad. It, 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 the, the outcome of the emotion, how you, how, how you actually deal with it, uh, it could be good. Anger is an emotion that can give us the courage to deal with something that we're afraid to deal with. But if, if I'm angry about the situation, I, I might have the right level of anger can motivate me to go after a problem. But anger can also be a source of motivation to go after a person. We used to say, attack the problem, not the person. And years ago when I did marriage counseling, which I was never a good marriage counselor, but I thought I should be because I was a pastor, I would tell couples, you know, it's as if you're sitting across the table from each other and you're in combat right now. I want you to sit on the same side of the table, put the problem on the table, and recognize it's not his problem and it's not her problem, it's your problem. So attack the problem, not the person. But... Anger can, uh, can be positive or it can be negative. Even something like joy. Joy, you can be joyful simply because you're getting a revelation of God's goodness. 
and the Holy Spirit is producing the, the fruit of joy in your life. I remember one time back in the 70s, um, if you don't know this, I grew up near Pittsburgh. I'm a, a longtime Steelers fan. And the Steelers were playing the Raiders. And I remember I was, and I was a believer at this time. But I was so engaged in that game that I was just hoping that Ken Stabler would break his leg. I was just thinking, oh man, just come on, someone, get in there, get in there, break the guy's leg. And I don't know if I would have been joyful over that or not, but I was hoping for it as if it would have been a source of joy to me. Now, that, that joy would have been wrong because it would have been based on the wrong thing, okay? So joy can be good or joy can be something that's harmful. The thing to recognize is this, that every one of these three, the emotion, uh, the, the event, the emotion, and the effect all have underlying beliefs that support them. And so I want to take a look at that. Each one has an underlying belief. The first one, the event itself, it's what I already believe about myself, about that other person, about God, about life in general, that impacts how I respond to what just happened. And uh, so, so let's say I have this underlying sense that I'm a failure. Uh, a, a, you know, I'm a loser, I'm a failure. And then I do something that fails. So the event is I failed at this. I failed at this relationship. I wanted this to be a good conversation and it wasn't a good conversation. Now, if my perception is that I am a failure, then my emotion is going to come out of that. It's gonna be, it's going to be uh, controlled by my perception. Uh, other, other, other beliefs, if, if that's my belief, it, it affects the way I interpret the event. Uh, other beliefs, if this person gets mad at me, I don't think I can stand it. I can't handle it. I don't know what I'll do if they're mad at me. Now, that's, that's a belief, that's a lie, as is I'm a failure is a lie. Uh, other beliefs, you know, my whole future depends on me getting this right at this moment. Now, that's not true either. That, that type of black and white thinking can lead me to respond to uh, an event where I made a mistake or I failed in a way that would be just debilitating. Here's one about God himself. I just failed, and then I say to myself, well, God helps those who help themselves. You know, we all know that's in the Bible, right? No, no it's not in the Bible, okay? <laughs> that's not in the Bible. But God helps those who help themselves, and I messed up. And so I can't expect God to help me. Now, if I believe that, and I have a failure that I'm dealing with, then I'm gonna become despondent and depressed and uh, unmotivated to, to do anything. So the event itself has a belief system under it. Then the emotion actually has a belief system under that also. So my emotional response, and I'm dealing mainly here with things that have a negative impact on our lives because those are the things we're trying to get over. But anger, depression, confusion, shame, uh, if that's the emotion, then I'm experiencing this emotion, and I'm going, to, I'm going to support that emotion with another errant belief. And, and it may be that, of course, I'm angry. I have the right to be angry. And, or, or, of course, I'm depressed. Anybody would be depressed. Or, of course, I'm fearful. Or, you know, I, I have the right to be fearful in this situation. And so, at that point... When we're experiencing the emotion, there is something we can do. 
And that is we can replace that thought, for the, the first case, with the event and the emotion, the uh, belief system that, that relates to the event that causes the emotion. You, I can't really do anything like that, about that on the spot. Because that's just an underlying belief system. I'm stuck in this emotion right now. But it, let's say the emotion is fear and I'm experiencing fear. I can either say, yes, I'm fearful, and, and this is right for me to be fearful, or I can say, wait a second, I'm a new creation in Christ. Fear is no longer part of my identity. In fact, the Bible says the perfect love casts out fear, and the Bible says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so I don't have to yield to fear. I don't have to allow this fear to come out in some negative way and have a negative effect. And so I, in Jesus' name, I reject fear. Jesus, I trust you with this situation. Maybe I failed at, at that or, or that event or whatever it was, whatever the event was that triggered this. Maybe, maybe I failed at that, but I'm not gonna give in to fear right now because I'm new in Christ. We're gonna see that in just a moment when we read about it in uh, Ephesians. But then the event itself um, then, then the effect, um, the, the effect, and I have beliefs about the effect that either cause the effect to continue, like I nurse the anger, it becomes bitterness and resentment, or I blame my parents, or I blame someone else, uh, you know, I feel justified in blaming others, uh, or what, whatever, there are underlying beliefs for each one of these. And, and now while I believe it is true that at the moment I'm experiencing the emotion uh, it, it's, it's pretty hard. To, we, we don't want to just stuff the emotion. Uh, we, we do want to recognize what it is, and, and, and I'm responsible for how I handle it. I want to recognize that I am responsible for how I respond to that emotion, and although at the moment I don't get to choose the emotion, I do get to choose what I do about it. And so I have to recognize I am responsible for the outcome of this emotion. And if I can, at that moment, stop and say, this really is not the real me. If, I, if I'm struggling with anger or depression or whatever it might be, this is not the real me, then I might just cut the whole thing off right there. But what Will shared last week uh, was so true that... The emotions, when we experience them, we don't want to try to stuff them, but we do want to recognize that we do need to manage our response or the effect of the emotion. There's a verse in Proverbs that says this, Proverbs 29, 11. It says, a fool utters all his mind, but a wise man holds it in until afterwards. Now, the implication there is something happens. Um, I have this flood of emotion and flood of thoughts and I feel justified in expressing them right at the moment. And this verse says that it's not wise to do that. It says it's better to wait and let the emotions die down and then deal with the situation. Now another translation of the same verse says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Another verse in Proverbs that I like, says this about a fool. It says, even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, is considered wise. So that's something we can all remember, okay? If you don't know what to say, don't say anything. 
Just shake your head knowingly, smile a little bit, and have a knowing look on your face. And you'll appear to be wise. But this verse really tells us that, that it is possible for us to manage the effect of the emotion. And then we go back and we ask ourselves, you know, why am I, why am I getting triggered by events like this? Why is it that so often I feel this emotion of frustration with other people when they do this? You know, what, what am I believing about myself and about life and about the world and about God that, uh, that is causing that? So, uh, John 16, 33 is an interesting verse because in it, Jesus shows us how much God cares about us, but he also shows us some of the expectations we can have in life. And he, and he says this, he says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. Then he says this, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What that tells me is that God loves me so much that he overcame this whole world system so that I can live free of it. He's overcome the world. I'm going to have pain in life. If I have the expectation I'm not going to ever experience any pain, then I'm going to feel victimized. And I'm going to feel like someone owes me something. And I'm going to feel like I'm justified in whatever reaction I give to whatever event triggers me with negative emotions. And so um, this, this emotional maturity comes as we adjust our belief systems to biblical truth so that we have an underlying belief system that is focused on biblical truth. I want to read a few verses uh, to you from Ephesians 4. And um, we're going to, I'm just going to read the first two to you, and then, then we'll bring some others up on the screen. But this is in Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18. Apostle Paul says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. By Gentiles, he means unbelievers. Doesn't mean non-Jews, but unbelievers. And how do they walk? He says, they walk in the futility of their, un of their mind. Futility of the mind, futile. Futile means vain, empty, useless. The futility of, the mi of, their mi of the mind. Being darkened in their understanding. In other words, the mind of the unbeliever is not capable of understanding the true nature of life. The true nature of who God is or who people are or, or why people are valuable. The, the unbelieving mind can't, can't really grasp that. This isn't saying that scientists aren't useful or an unbelieving scientist can't discover things that are helpful or, or, or an unbelieving um, uh, engineer can't develop something that's going to really bless the world. But it is saying as far as understanding the issues of life, the unbelieving mind is darkened. And then he says it's darkened because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And so it all comes back to this issue of the heart and the heart itself, rejecting Jesus. Accepting Jesus opens your mind to understand the true issues of life. When I reject Jesus, I stay in this state of a darkened mind and a darkened understanding. But then he goes on and he says this in verses 22 to 24. And this is going to be up on the screen because I wanted you to see these verses. So he says this. 
in reference to your former manner of life, meaning before you became a Christian, when you were darkened in your understanding, thinking was futile, in reference to your former manner of life, he says, you are to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. What he's saying here is that the whole world system outside Christ is falling into more and more and more corruption. And so the mind and the collective mind of humanity, collective mind of a culture without Christ is going to experience a deepening and a deepening and a deepening of darkness and corruption. So he says, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. So you lay that aside and listen to this, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So he's saying here there's an old self. Uh, The literal translation will be an old man. And that doesn't mean that I have two people inside me. I don't have an old man and a new man inside of me. I am new. You can only have one nature. My nature is new. I've been, I've been recreated in Christ when I accepted Christ. I became new. But my mind still thinks, has, has the, has the um, ability and many times the propensity to think the old way. That's the old way. The old man is the old way of thinking. And he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, the word spirit can mean many different things. It can mean spirits like angels or demons. Spirit can refer to the Holy Spirit. Spirit can refer to the person. But in this context where he says the spirit of your mind, spirit means the deepest part of something. So one of the definitions for spirit is the deepest part of something. And so he's saying, in the deepest part of your mind, be renewed. You might know some of this stuff on the surface, and you can recognize it and acknowledge it, but he's saying, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to take truth and to give it to us as Holy Spirit revelation that sinks deep into our minds so that that becomes our default response. So that it's not, I was wounded by... Uh, you know, by a, a friend in high school, and I'm still living out of that wound. And anybody that does anything like that to me, or I was wounded by my father, or anybody who does anything like that to me, I respond out of that old wound. Now, he's saying, find out what's at, the, what's at the bottom of that belief system for that old wound, get it healed, change your thinking about it, and allow truth to sink deep into your heart so that your response then is the same response Jesus would give to something like that. And so, this is just such an important part of the the whole concept of how we live, how we live in a healthy way. Uh, Emotions are so much a part of our lives that um, that if we don't understand this, we're we're gonna be spinning our wheels in spiritual growth. We're gonna be frustrated over and over again. But it's possible, and and many times what it takes is sitting down with someone and saying, I don't know why, but every time this happens, 
I get, I get just this anger comes into my heart. Or every time this happens, I just become incredibly sad. Or every time this happens, I just get filled with anxiety. Or I, just, I have anxiety all the time, and I don't know why. Help me to figure that out. You get a couple people to pray with you, to listen, to ask questions, and to help discern what is the wound that is there and what, what false beliefs have gathered around that wound. And then when you can recognize what those false beliefs are and you, you begin to deal with them, you get prayer for the wound for healing. And you know, the Bible says that God heals the brokenhearted. And so it's possible to have places in our hearts that are broken and God will heal them. Now, just to give you an illustration of some of this, this, this story came back to me during the 20-year celebration that we had, and I hope you were able to be here for much of that. It was a pretty exciting time. But um, I didn't tell about this in the celebration. But I had an event that happened, it would have been about 2005. We had a, a building team put together. We had purchased this land. We were working with a company, a, build, a design build firm, and uh, having a lot of meetings, I think it was probably a Tuesday night, we had a meeting that lasted late. It was a good meeting, a good group of people. There was no, uh, no disagreement in the meeting, nothing that I went away from the meeting feeling anxious about or upset about or anything like that. But I was really wired. So I went home, I went to bed about 11 o'clock, and I just couldn't get to sleep. And it's 12 o'clock. Then it's 1 o'clock. Then it's 2 o'clock. And, and I'm telling you, it wasn't one of these nights where I really did sleep and I just don't remember it. I did not sleep. And then it's 3 o'clock. About 2 o'clock, I started to really get concerned because I had an early morning appointment the next day at 8 o'clock. And so I started worrying. And so the worry then fitting into, am I going to get any sleep tonight or not, really jacked me up. And, and I, I really didn't sleep. About 5 o'clock, I think it was, I started to doze off. Probably at 5.30 or so, Lori got up. She sometimes gets up very early for just time with the Lord, and that woke me up. So I walked into the bathroom, and I'm very frustrated, and I looked at the wall, and I thought, I feel like punching that wall. And then I thought, it's only drywall, I can repair it. And I want to tell you, before I had that sentence completed in my mind, by the time I thought the word it, I drove a punch into the wall. And if I had hit between the studs, I have no doubt I would have punched right through the drywall. But I hit a stud. I instantly knew I had broken my hand. There was no question about this. I, my hand was broken. All right. So, looking at that. What were some of the underlying belief systems that kept me awake all night? Oh, partly it was, I'm not going to survive tomorrow if I don't get any sleep. Partly it was, I have a meeting. I got a boy, if I don't get any sleep, that meeting is going to be horrible. Partly it was, God can't use me unless I get a good night's sleep. All those things. Now, if I had had, if I had, had that right, I probably would have gone to sleep earlier. If, if I had been lying there thinking, wow, uh, boy, you know what? Even if I don't get any sleep tonight, I'm going to have a great day tomorrow because God's with me. 
It's going to be really interesting to see how God uses someone who didn't get any sleep the night before. <laughs> if I had been thinking that, again, I probably would have gone to sleep. But if I had been thinking that, if those were the beliefs I was holding on to, then uh, the next day would have been great. But, but I was stuck in this cycle of, I've got to get to sleep. I've got to get, and I didn't get to sleep, and I have this appointment in an hour and a half, and I don't even want to go to this appointment. So I'm, I'm bringing other lies into this too. Why don't I want to go to that appointment? I, I, it was a good appointment. And, and all of that, and then I justified expressing my frustration in a physical way like that. I thought, well, I guess this is acceptable. Guys punch walls. I'm a guy. And you know what? Though I'll tell you what, women punch walls too. And, um, and so that was another lie I was believing. Because I remember one time in Michigan, um, we had like, I had an 18 person board there. It was good people, don't get me wrong, really good people, but an 18 person board is unwieldy. And and I remember I went home one day after a couple meetings, and I was frustrated just like I was when I didn't sleep all night. You know what I did? I got out three pieces of firewood and an ax, and I chopped them up from 18 inches into little bits. <laughs> now, that was a healthier way to deal with frustration than punching a wall. So then I go into this other mode, and I think, oh, my. Only idiots punch walls. <laughs> if, 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 if the church finds out about this, they'll all know for sure now I'm an idiot. I think they already suspect that. <laughs> It'll be confirmed to everybody that I'm an idiot, and no one will ever come back to the church again. That's what went through my mind. And I mean, this went through my mind in like five seconds, ten seconds. Then the next thing that went through my mind was... I've known guys who have broken fingers and broken hands, never went to the doctor, and they just live with a crooked finger. So I thought, well, I can do that. So I thought, I'm not telling anybody. I will either keep my hand in my pocket everywhere I go, or I'll carry a cup of coffee. And then if someone wants to shake hands, I would just say, uh, sorry, I got this coffee. You know, here, let's shake left-handed, you know. And... Um, it ends up, Lori, I, my hand, I went back to bed. My hand is killing me. Went down to get ice. Lori comes out. What happened? What, what was that loud noise I heard? And um, at first, I tried to uh, avoid it, but I, I can't. You know, I, I had to tell her, and she was very compassionate, and she told me I should go to the doctor. I said, I'm not going to the doctor. So that day... Um, our youth pastor saw that something was wrong with my hand, and he said, what happened? And You know, I can plan, almost plan to hide things. I could almost plan to make, tell a lie, but when it comes down to it, I just can't do it. And, and, and I, I said, okay, here's what I did, Dale. And uh, it was Dale McMillan, and, and Dale said, um, boy, he said, you know, if you hide that, you're going to have to hide it for the rest of your life. And, you know, if you hide that, if you don't go to the doctor and your hand hurts for the rest of your life, you're not going to be able to get any sympathy out of your wife for that at all because she's telling you to go to the doctor. So I decided, okay, I'm, I'll go to a doctor, but I'm not going to my personal doctor. I don't want him to know what I did. So I go to a quick med. And again, what, what are the underlying belief systems around some of this? You can't trust people. People are not going to be compassionate. 
Uh, if people really knew me, they would, they would think, you know, less of me or they wouldn't like me at all. Those are lies that, I was, that were kind of like underneath all of the decisions I was making at this point. And so I go to this, this quick med, get my hand x-rayed. Doctor walks into the room, says, well, your hand's broken. What'd you do? It was a woman doctor. And um, I said, well, this morning about 5 o'clock in the bathroom. She said, what? I said, well, you know, it was early, early. It was really early in the morning. <laughs> and I hadn't slept all night. And so that, and then she took her clipboard and she put it down on the desk and she looked at me, squared up with me, looked at me in the eye and said, why don't you just tell me what you did? So I told her. And then she said, well, anger is a very serious issue and there are anger management courses you can take. <laughs> And I, by this time, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better with dealing with the whole thing. And I kind of laughed. I said, you know, I've taken some pretty serious psychological exams like the MMPI. And I don't have any underlying anger. I was just frustrated. Did something stupid. And she said, well, depression is serious too. <laughs> <clears throat> and I said, ma'am, I said, doctor, I, I said, I know. I, you know, I, I understand what depression is. If I was depressed, I would go for counseling with, within a heartbeat. I would not, I'd go for it. And she looked at me for about 10 seconds, and then she said, well, okay. She said, but the next time this happens, go to the basement and scream into a pillow. She said, that's what I do. <laughs> and then she's walking out the door. She said, just remember, honesty is always the best policy. Okay, so she walks out of the room saying that, I had taken this book with me, which I'd never read. It was a used book I bought, so it's all marked up. Someone else marked it. And I opened it randomly to page 54, and this was what was marked, this was what was colored in. It says, a great leader must possess the confidence and security to accept the truth about himself or herself and the consequences of his actions. And I thought, wow, what a coincidence. Later, he says, you know, honesty is the best policy, too, in the next paragraph. And I, man, isn't that, isn't that a coincidence how this book just lines up with what she just said? But um, God used that to speak to me. And a couple of other things happened as well um, to, you know, to help me to see how I needed to respond to this. You know, the thing about hidden things, what Dale said, if you hide this, you have to hide it for the rest of your life. Hidden things stay in darkness. And who is the prince of darkness? Not Ozzy Osbourne, okay? <laughs> who is the, prin the prince of, I don't know if he's called this in the Bible or not, but the prince of darkness is Satan. If, if you, we hide things and they're in darkness, then the enemy has access to poke at them and, and, to, and to influence our lives through that. So, I read this about Rick Joyner and the importance of authenticity in leadership. Then later that week, well, when I did go to uh, the sur a surgeon, but I insisted he put on a temporary cast so I could take it off if I wanted to. Because at this point, I'm thinking 50-50. I'm going to tell the church. I'm not going to tell the church. And he saw the cast. Uh, David said, what'd you do? And I said, oh, the other morning, early in the bathroom. It was exactly the same thing that happened with the doctor. And he said, well, what, what do you mean? I said, no, blah, blah, blah. I, you, that's called obfuscating. 
okay? If you don't know, there's a new word, obfuscate. To obfuscate means to, to beat around the bush and to try to hide the truth by saying words. But um, then he looked at me and he said, why don't you just tell me what you did? Exactly the same thing the doctor said. So I told him, and he laughed. He said, oh, man, I've done that too. I didn't break my hand, but, uh, but I was luckier than you. But so many of us have done that. And so I, here I had this picture of this guy, this other pastor in our community that would have judged me for that. And my perception, it was so skewed as far as how do you trust other people with something like this? And, and the simple truth is, you just really trust God. And then you trust other people to respond. But you're really trusting in God that whatever the response is is gonna be okay. Because God's involved in all of this. And so that really impacted me. But here's the thing that impacted me the most. I realized that my two oldest sons were coming into town that weekend. This would have been 19, 2005, so 17 years ago. And uh, neither one of them were married yet. And, you know, where they were with the Lord at that time, I wasn't really totally sure. But I knew this. I knew they had grown up in a couple of churches that uh, were pretty legalistic. And where if I had told a story like this, the elders would have met and fired me after the service. Um, and I thought, you know, they've seen that side of Christianity where everything's pretend. And, and well, not everything. Again, good people, but it's just a different type of culture. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to hide from them the fact that I broke my hand. But they will see if I'm hiding it from everybody else. They'll know. And that will be really bad for them. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to set that type of example for them. And so I decided on that basis, okay, I've got to tell the church about this. Which I did. Some of you were here when I did that. And, um, I only got one semi-negative response. I had several women come up to me and say, oh, I'm so happy to hear you punch the wall because I did too. And that's why I say I know women punch walls. <laughs> but um, I think the most compelling thing that was said, uh, Jim Hunter, who's sitting over here to my left, I think, uh, he said, boy, you really set the bar high when it comes to honesty. And that wasn't my intent. That was not... But out of my stupidity that night came something good. And, and that is, Lori said, this was, this was a part of kind of like settling that this is a culture of mercy when I told the church what I'd done. And the church responded the way they did. But um, I just want to say this. To dads, most important thing you can do is love Jesus and keep a heart-to-heart connection with your kids. That's more important than telling them stuff. It's more important than trying to manage it. We don't try to manage their lives. They hit a point where you shouldn't. Most important thing, you love Jesus and you keep a heart-to-heart connection with your kids. And that takes authenticity to do that. You have to be willing to admit failures and mistakes in order to keep a heart-to-heart connection. You do that and I can just about guarantee you your kids are going to turn out pretty good. So I'm going to end with this. There's something about opening up, letting light into the darkness, something I've hidden. If I hide things, just by hiding it, it messes with my emotions. And it sets me up for inappropriate emotional responses to situations. 
maybe I'm hiding the fact that I was hurt. Maybe I was attacked physically or, or sexually assaulted or, or something that I've never opened up and told anybody about. Now, some of those things are really deep. And, and if that's the case, then we really want to help, help you find someone that can spend time with you, helping you for, for healing for that. But he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. So would you all stand with me, please? And prayer team, would you make your way down right now? Yeah, prayer team, come on down, please. Be, be here ready. Um, if anything in this message really strikes you, maybe you need prayer. Maybe there's something that has come to the surface and you're thinking, you're realizing, I'm believing this lie. Or, or, you know, I need to get over not trusting other people or, or something like that or some wound that you just want to briefly share and get some healing prayer for. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe a few more people on the prayer team come down too, even though it's not your week if you come down. But uh, Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your incredible love for us. We want to live, we want to live in joy with you. We want to be able to respond to the tribulations of life uh, in a real way, but without losing the joy that you, you invite us into, without losing the peace that you welcome us into. So Holy Spirit, I pray for healing for hearts right now. Any wounds that you've uncovered uh, during this time, during this service, bring healing to the hearts. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.